0: Revelation chapter 1. This truly is the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we see through this chapter, the number of ways that he has described uh, to his people. It is just uh, an abundance of statements made with regard to his person and his ministry and his offices. And here in the uh, first chapter of the book of Revelation, and I want to begin reading with verse 4. And read down through verse 8 and spend a little time on verse 5 then. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This truly is the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is His, the the person and work and ministry of Christ revealed to us. Let us know about Him and what He does. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace. From him which is, and which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And we mentioned last week that this grace always comes before peace. And that's God's unmerited favor that he, he had uh, a mind towards in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. It is a long enduring grace that changes not. His grace or his feelings towards us, his unmerited favor towards us, does not rise and fall with time. It is always a constant, 100%. And then as a result of that, we have peace. We have peace with him. And then he says here, from him which is, and uh, we said a few things last week about I am, his isness, his ever presentness, he is never outdated. It's kind of interesting go down to the post office right now and you can buy a book of stamps that says forever on it they don't matter it doesn't matter who's going to have them around in a year but you can use these if the price of stamps go to five dollars they're forever stamps well the Lord Jesus has forever been the I am ever present every generation has had him that way from the very beginning in the garden he was the I am and he's the I am today. He's ever present with his people. Now uh, Things may grow old, but God does not. The Lord Jesus does not. He does not get old. And here it also says, which was. We, there's a was about him that we just can't imagine. goes beyond the ability for us to, to imagine. The God before the world began in his glory. I, I've shared this, but there was a preacher... In Texas that was out on vacation and he was traveling and it was Sunday and he decided he was going to stop and here's a church with people all outside the building is filled there are people hanging in the windows there's cars parked around it and buggies turned out it was a a black church he says I got to stop here and he got there just in time for that preacher to say where was the Lord Before he created the heavens and the earth. Where was the Lord before he made man? Where was he before he created all the critters? In his glory. And that just sums it up. He was in his glory. He has always was. (laughs) And he shall ever be. And then it tells us, this one, the Lord Jesus We have a promise from him. He shared that with his disciples on the mountain of departing. He says, as you've seen him go, so shall he return. So we have a promise from the Lord. And as we uh, observe or participate in the Lord's Supper, this we're asked to do until he comes again. It's just a way of remembrance of his great promise to us. And then it tells us here the seven spirits and we went over there to the book of Isaiah and read a verse of scripture that shares with us the the greatness of the spirit of God and fills every capacity that we need. He's the one that presents us to Christ. He's the one that draws us to Christ. He's the one that reveals Christ to us. He counsels and comforts us. He's the one that walks beside us. He's the one that reveals all truth to us. It's the Holy Spirit's activity. Now, Verse five, and from Jesus, who is the faith, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and this great host that pierced him, they shall see him as he is, face to face. The world, it tells us what they shall do. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Those who pierced him, those who know him as Savior, those who have been regenerated, those he had the names of graven on the palms of his hand, those he had on his breastplate, on his (coughs) chest, those that pierced him, are in love with him. He's revealed himself to him in such a gracious way. All right, we want to spend a little bit of time here in verse 5 tonight. And in some ways it's a review because these words have been brought out so many times in the Scriptures, but they're just so great, so glorious as we get a view of the Lord Jesus. Now, we're just approaching that place here in this verse of Scripture where we get to see him as John saw him, and when John saw him, he fell at his feet at dead. Now, God's people stand in awe as we read these verses of Scripture. They stand in awe. This is the Savior of his people. Now, it tells us here, Jesus Christ, verse 5, from Jesus Christ. And and we've seen that in the Scriptures many times, but it always, always touches our hearts when we read about our Savior, Jesus Christ, we're touched by even the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we're touched is his name means Savior. And when he was promised, when he was already in the womb of Mary, Joseph was told, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a dramatic way of introduction to Joseph, who has thoughts of putting this woman away. But you shall call his name Jesus. In the Old Testament, it would have been Joshua. In the New Testament, it is Jesus, and he's a savior of his people. He has every intention of saving every one of them, and not one of them shall be lost. Not one will be left out. Not one will be unfound. They shall all be present at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. They shall all have their name tags. I used to go to a lot of meetings when I was in the teaching profession, and you'd go there and there'd be people that districts paid their money for, and the name tags would be left over. They didn't show up. Maybe they went, but they didn't go to the meeting. I don't know. A lot of name tags. And then once in a while there'd be one they'd have to create a name and it would always be in hand handwritten with some magic marker. It was always good to have one that was already typed out and you could wear it, you know. But that's not the way it's going to be with God. No tags are going to be left and he's not going to have to create new tags for people who showed up. He knows all his sheep. Now, it tells us there that there's also that word that's attached to that, and that is Christ, which means Messiah or anointed one, and truly, this is the statement about his eternality. Jesus is the man that was given. Christ is the God that came. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of John chapter one and verse 14. and we read these words about the Lord Jesus, The Word became flesh that that's. I just can't figure that out. John chapter 1, and there in verse 14, we read these words about the Lord Jesus, that the Word became flesh. John had already spent some time on the subject of the Word. There's no question about who that is, and there's no question about how long he's been the Word. And here in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Scripture says, And the Word was made flesh, now notice this next phrase, and dwelt among us. He just didn't come down for a visit. Now, he did come down for a visit when he visited with Abraham. He did come down for a visit when he visited with Moses. And he did come down for a visit when he visited with Adam. He came down for a visit. But in his appointed time, he came down for a duration, for a period of time. He just didn't come down to visit. He came down to tabernacle among us. That's what it means in the original. He tabernacled among us. He took upon himself flesh The God, the very God, took upon himself flesh, and he tabernacled among us. For a season, he was kept, captured by the flesh. He was a perfect child and a perfect man. He's the God-man, but he was captured by flesh. We don't see him doing some of the things that the Old Testament shares that he did. He's captured, and he's captured for a season that he might become the ransom price for his slaves that were sold into slavery of sin. The ransom price was his flesh. The ransom price was his blood. The ransom price is his life. So he, he was captured for a period of time in this flesh for the payment of a ransom price. The letter went out. The ransom note. All yours have been captured by sin. They fell into sin in Adam. And if you want them back, you're going to have to pay the ransom price. And the ransom price is the death of the God-man. That's the ransom price. You're going to have to pay that. Well, the Lord Jesus, we read about him, he was so willing to... To pay the ransom price he is so willing to be our savior he was not forced into it there wasn't a vote that took place in heaven and the uh, christ lost he volunteered it was in the covenant of grace that he give up his life a ransom for many so he came willingly down to this earth. He came to be born of a virgin, take upon himself flesh. And here it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There in verse 14, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. This is the precious son of God came down to tabernacle among men. And then it says, he's full of grace and truth. This is the only man that ever walked the face of the earth, that those two words could be said about. Him. He's full of grace and truth by his very nature. We have to be given grace, and we have to be given the truth, but he came down, and he was full of grace and truth. That's how he came. He had all the greatness of God, and he was filled with his unmerited favor to dispense to Matthew, a, a taker of custom money, taxes, and John and Peter, just lowly fishermen, sinners. Just go down to the wharves along the uh, coast of Oregon and find out what kind of people most of them are. That's the kind of people the Lord God Almighty showed his grace and showed his truth to, the truth of God to these fishermen these outcasts, and Matthew, a tax collector, an outcast, and those women that came to him, outcasts, this is who he came for. And then, if you would, look with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, as it shares here this information about the Lord. I just love this verse of Scripture. It explains so much and yet is so deep that uh, it's beyond explanation. But in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23, we read those words about the Lord Jesus. He'd call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is. Now, I read the words but the miracle of God's grace, God with us, Emmanuel. We never have the Lord Jesus called Emmanuel by anybody in scriptures. This is the record that his name is Emmanuel. But when we use the word Jesus Christ, we're saying God with us. We have God come in human flesh to lay down his life, a ransom for many. We're saying the same thing. So Emmanuel. So Jesus Christ, uh, God with us, the word became flesh. He fixed his tent of flesh. He lived a while among us. And then going back over there to the book of Revelation, it shares three things very rapidly in this verse of Scripture that we want to spend just a little bit of time with tonight. These qualities about the Lord Jesus These qualities about Jesus Christ, the God man, Emmanuel, Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The qualities about this one, the Lord, that we're going to see more of as this book, as we read it, this is the revelation of this one. This is what he has revealed to his people. Now, to many, it's just good words, to the church, this is so precious. Notice with me here. Verse 5, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. The faithful witness. If you want someone testifying for you want a faithful witness. If you want a mediator, you want a faithful witness. Someone who will tell the truth. And we find this out about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's a witness. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah 55, if you would. Isaiah 55, we read here about the Lord being a witness and a faithful witness. And his witness is true. Now, he may speak to our heart and say, as he did many. He told the woman at the well, he was a faithful witness to her. He just, he didn't beat around the bush. He got to the, right to the heart of the problem. You've been married seven times. and The man you're living with is not your husband. (laughs) <laughs> now, to the psychiatrist and the psychologist, oh, we want to be careful on this area. We don't want to we don't want to upset this lady. We want an opportunity to talk to her. And Jesus Christ dealt with her. He just cut to the chase and says, This is the way it is, and we find the Lord dealing with his people always the same manner, so honestly he's a faithful witness. You know what he says? With all honesty, you're a child of Adam. You're a sinner by practice. And you're a sinner by nature. And you're a sinner by choice. And when he says that to us, if we don't know it, we raise our hackles. And after we know him, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I know that. It just, it grates on me every day. I'm a sinner, yes. He's so honest with us. Sometimes we don't like honesty, but the Lord's always honest with us. He never, never, never gets, goes around this way to get to it. He's honest. He's straightforward. Notice here in the book of Isaiah, chapter fifty-five. He's a witness. He's a faithful witness. Isaiah fifty-five verse one. We read these these words about the Lord and about Him being a faithful witness. Always. Honest. He's going to be honest here in the word of God. He's going to be honest with the seven churches of Asia. Can you imagine him writing a letter today to a church and says, I'd rather you are hot or cold, but this lukewarmness, I just can't stand. That's what he said. Honest, just honest. He just, you generation of snakes. (laughs) Now, we just couldn't say that. But he did. Honest, honest. He was honest with the churches. He was honest with their problems there, as we're going to read. All right, Isaiah 55, verse 1. I'll get there. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That means you're not going to bargain or trade for this. You just, it's We're not bargaining with the Lord. We're not going to trade. Wherefore, do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Now notice this in verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee, shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Now notice verse 4. Behold, I have given, unto, given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. He's the honest one. He's the one that is a faithful witness. He will tell the truth. He will not back up. He will not budge on this matter. And we find him when he talks about the covenant, it mentions there the everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. He's he's a witness of the covenant of grace. He's a constant and abiding witness about the covenant of grace, that it is in effect. And it was made in the council halls of eternity. And in that covenant of grace, the Father chose a people out of all the peoples of the world that would come, and the Son said, "I'll lay down my life for all those." And the Holy Spirit said, "I'll go find them and I'll regenerate them." That's in the covenant of grace, and He's a faithful witness to the covenant of grace, and He's a witness a witness of God's way of salvation, only way. He termed it narrow way. That's what He termed. It's He's a faithful witness when it comes to salvation. It's God's salvation. He gave the message to Jonah in the great fish's belly, salvations of the Lord. This is, he's a faithful witness on this issue. He didn't send out a, a, a paper and ask for people to say, what would you like in a church? What would you like in a Savior? He just said, this is the way it is. And my people shall bow. My people shall lend their ear. My people shall hear. This is the way it is. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way. And he's a faithful witness about that. He's a true witness. Turn over there, would you, to the book of Revelation. I just want to read that verse of Scripture when he's speaking to a church, and he's a faithful witness to them. He's a faithful witness about them being lukewarm. Now, I don't understand all I know about that, But I hope by the time we get there, we have a little more light about what it means. Revelation chapter 3. We read these words. Revelation 3, verse 15. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking to a church. Not a church age, but a church. I was thinking this afternoon about these seven churches of Asia. Probably a a Bible-believing church could say they've gone through all seven of these in one week. (laughs) I mean, it's it's just... Things that happen in our life that remind us we need a Savior. Things that happen every day. There's times, Lord, I'm sorry, but I did forget my first love. But he hasn't forgotten me. Lord, I am cold. I mean, I am lukewarm. But you're not. You're a faithful witness to me. But notice this. His faithful witness is brought out here. Revelation 3, verse 15 the scriptures share this I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, one way or the other. If you can leave, leave. That's what he's saying. That's what he told 5,000 at one time. He preached the gospel, and he said, this is a hard saying. There's the door. If you can leave, do it. And they left. They had, all they were interested in was bread, just blessings from heaven. They were not interested in the Christ of God, this man of God that was walking among them. All right, going over there to the first chapter again, there's a second statement made in this verse of Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and here we find that Jesus is Savior, and Christ is the Messiah, and combined it's the mediator, the God-man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And his ministry to us is to be a faithful witness. And then secondly, we find, and the first begotten of the dead. There were other people raised in the Old Testament before Jesus was ever raised, but they were all raised by the power of God. Not one was by the power of a prophet or the power of a priest. They were raised by the power of Jesus Christ. In the covenant of grace before the world began, it was purposed to demonstrate the resurrection ability of God. We find him doing that three times in his own personal ministry. He raised someone. One was quite young, one was young, and one was no doubt older. But they were all dead. Demonstration, it doesn't matter where we are in life. Without Christ, we're dead. And there's no qualities of dead. We don't find that the Bible or even English talks about dead and deader and the deadest. They're all dead. One quality. We're all dead in Adam. We're made alive in Christ. He is the first begotten of the dead. The relationship of his power and his office is demonstrated here. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 the power that went into raising Jesus Christ from the dead. The power is mentioned here in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and it talks about his resurrection. He is the first begotten from the dead. He's the one that was determined before the world began to be the resurrection, and in his resurrection he could share... I'm the resurrection and the life. And he's going to share that with with Lazarus' sister. I am the resurrection and the life. In him is our resurrection. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ took up, I don't know, let's just say all power. Nobody could have raised him out of that tomb. It took all power. He has all power. It took all power. It took God's power to raise his son. Now, Notice here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now the same power that it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that God must exude on us to raise us from the spiritual dead and to raise us to in the end time. Same power. It is exceeding power. We don't have that power. It's not within us. We couldn't walk up to the tomb of Lazarus and say what Jesus said and get the job done. We don't have that power. We are caught. Now, there's people in the Old Testament, prophets. They said the words and people were raised from the dead, but it was by the power of Jesus Christ that they were raised. And when people were healed in the New Testament times after the Lord Jesus went back to glory, they were raised by the power of Christ. And it took exceeding power to raise him. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is a picture of what power it took. Exceeding power, and it's that power that takes us to be saved. It's not just a diddly little prayer. It's the exceeding power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is what's required to raise us to newness of life, to quicken us. It's not just a small thing; it's all power of God is required to do that. It is Him that has to raise us and put away our sin. It's exceedingly sinful, and uh, there in uh, Second Ephesians chapter one, verse twenty. It says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullest of him that filleth all in all. This power of the Lord Jesus that was demonstrated in his own resurrection it took the power of the Father. It took the power of the Holy Spirit. And it took the power of the Son. I lay down my life that I might take it up. But God the Father was involved. an all power that he and the Holy Spirit. This was no novel thing. This was no sleight of hand tricks. It took the creative power of Almighty God to raise his Son from the dead. And that is the same exact thing amount of power it takes to raise us from the spiritual dead. And then when he comes again to raise us so that we'll be like him, have our bodies brought out of wherever power takes the power of God to do that. It's no small feat. It's the great act of a sovereign God over his people here and to come. Take the same power. Now, going back over there in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, there's the third thing that we'd like to look at. He is the faithful witness, he's the first begotten from the dead. And look at this one He is the prince of the kings of the earth. And he's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the king of all the kings. He is the ruler of all the kings. He is the king supreme. And all other rulers are subject to him. Not one can rule without him. He is their lifeblood of ruling. Turn with me if you would to the book of Matthew chapter 28. As he is the prince of... Of the kings of the earth. He just allows us to view him as absolute king of kings and lord of lords. Absolute sovereign. He, there's no one that speaks ill of him in his presence. Now we may speak ill, but no ruler is going to usurp authority over God. Nobody. In fact, it says, not an angel in heaven, nor an inhabitant of the earth, can say, what doest thou? Why are you doing that? And make a move. I'm so thankful that this is here because this really takes care of our prayer. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. The king of kings that's immutable, changes not. I change not. He's not swayed by political opinion. He changes not. Now notice here with me in Matthew chapter 28. We've read this in the past, but this is such a glorious verse of Scripture. Matthew 28, verse 18. As he mentions this about himself. After his resurrection, he had this before. It's restored in a a sense here. And in Matthew chapter 28, we read here in verse 18 these words about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I lack nothing. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I have the gold in every mine. I have all people in my hand. There's a song I used to sing as a kid. I didn't realize the truth of it, but he has the whole world in his hands. It's kind of kind of a sporty little tune, but he has the whole world in his hands. He has little bitty babies in his hands. He has "you and me" in his hands. He has everything absolute control over all things it is his creation and he does as he pleases with his creation he is a prince of the kings of the earth no one moves without his permission last night i read an article about the civil war between the uh, clintons and al gore when he was vice president and in there it said that bill didn't make a decision without first of all going to his wife Everything. He had to go ask her. Had to ask her. And Gore was supposed to be the most, he was announced to be the most powerful vice president that had ever been. And he ended up, he couldn't even have a visit with the president. That's not the way it is with the Lord. He is absolute king. Absolute king. Nobody puts him off. Nobody says, oh, at another time, at another time. Bring this up at another time. Nobody puts him off. He is absolute. He is irresistible. When he calls, it is an irresistible call. The king says, come, we go forward. When he comes, we come to him. We are called by a kingly call, and it is irresistible. And he sends out strings, cords of love, and draws us to himself. It's irresistible because he is the king of the princes of the earth. He's king in salvation. He's king over all things. Even the sparrows depend upon him. The lions in the jungle depend upon Him. That's what the Scriptures say. And we depend upon Him whether we know it or not. He is King. He is Prince of all kings of the earth. He is... Now, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. He is the King of the Prince of the earth. Prince of the kings. He is the ruler. He's absolute monarch. He's monarch when it comes to political power. And he's monarch when it comes to spiritual power. He's over the every kingdom. He's over the mineral kingdom. He's over the plant kingdom. He's over the animal kingdom. He's over the human kingdom. He's over the angel kingdom. Nothing is without his knowledge. And every decision is made by the Lord of glory as to what will fall out. He is king over all things. He knows where the gold is, and he knows where the oil is. Why do the Arabs have all the oil? Because God determined it that way. And why did Alaska have all the gold? Because God determined it that way. He's the one that determined where every natural resource would rest and who would be, quote-unquote, the owner's. Everything. First Timothy, Chapter One, verse seventeen. Now unto the King Eternal, immortal, invisible. The only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. So be it. That's our words. That's God's words, but that's our words too. Oh, Lord, yes. Be it like that. He's the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And in that same book, chapter 6 and verse 15, we read these words about his kingship. He is the king of kings. He is the absolute monarch over every kingdom, every principality and power. If God be before us, who then can be against us? That's just he's over everything. In First in, uh, Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, the scriptures share this, which is, in times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and Lord of Lords. And twice that same term is mentioned over in the book of Revelation, that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. So in that verse of scripture, he shares with us that he's the faithful witness. I'm king of kings. Faithful witness. I'm king of kings. He's faithful witness. He says, I'm the first begotten of the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. It doesn't matter which age, doesn't matter when. The same power that it took to raise the Lord Jesus out of that tomb is the power that it takes to raise us out of our spiritual death. And the same power that will be demonstrated when he raises all his saints at that last day. His power will be demonstrated. I mean, it's power that will be demonstrated to raise all those Power to raise one soul from spiritual death. They have no ears to hear. They have no eyes to see. They have no mind to consider. They have no thought towards God. They have no feet to go to Him. They have no hands to serve. They're dead. And He quickens the whole spiritual being. And they're on their knees, bowing before Him because He is the first begotten from the dead. I've demonstrated my power here—power to create heavens and earth. Now we think that's power, but the power that it took God to raise God from the dead is the power that it takes to raise you and I. That's power. That just puts it out of our league. Little puny, infinitesimal f- ladyfinger powers—all we got. I remember Nancy's brothers got some lady fingers and they're little bitty firecrackers. So I couldn't do this because I knew it hurt, but they held him in the tips of the right there, and he'd light him and hold him in a flower. See what happened? Just little lady. Fingers. That's that's the power we have. Just little bark, but the power of God to shape the very foundation of this earth. The power of God to create rain. It's a miracle that we have a rain cycle. All that water runs down the river, goes out in the ocean, evaporates up into the clouds, comes back over the land, and drops it again. The same water that we're drinking today has been recycled 10,000 times. What a miracle. And what power is the water of the word that God uses It isn't change. God doesn't change the water for us. It's been brought again, brought again. And when it comes to the word, it's the same gospel story that God uses today that he used 6,000 years ago. My faithful son, my first begotten of the dead, my faithful witness, my prince of the rulers of this world is the Savior of his people. And in that same verse, it shares this, and with this we'll close. He says there in the latter part of verse 5, and we'll look at this at a later date, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. My goodness. The revelation of Jesus Christ that just connected phrases, statements about the glory of our Savior, the glory of the Lord, this God-man, Emmanuel. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This one, all of this is about, this one man, this one from heaven that took upon himself and tabernacled among us, took upon himself flesh, All of this is about every statement, every phrase, every word, every statement of power and authority is all about him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead, and he is the prince of the kings of the earth. And this is just three out of several hundred we'll run into in this book about the Lord Jesus Christ statements about him. There is no one like him. All the law and the prophets and the Psalms hang on him.